Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. Today's podcast is about marriage in Pride and Prejudice. Why does everyone want to get married? And what is some of the historical background to help us understand the importance of marriage in the novel? Well, I'm going to talk about a number of different characters today and try to unpack a little bit about this situation and why marriage is significant for them. Um, And I'm going to start off with Mrs. Bennet. Now, we open the novel, um, obviously, with Austen's really famous ironic line. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. Um, Now, this is the, the narrator kind of ironically commenting on society's obsession with marrying off eligible bachelors. But in a sense, it could be from the perspective of Mrs. Bennet, because as we go into the conversation between Mr. and Mrs. Bennet in chapter one, it's all about Bingley's moved into the neighbourhood. He's got four to five thousand a year. Um, and Mr. Bennet kind of dryly asks, um, you know, why why she's so interested um, and how it can affect his daughters. And she says, you know, you must know I'm thinking of his marrying one of them. Um, and Mr. Bennett sort of wryly comments, is that his design in settling here? Uh, as in, is that his intention? Um, but the point is, the chapter ends on this note. The business of her life was to get her daughters married. Um, so the, the business, the occupation, um, if you like, obsession of Mrs. Bennett is to get her daughters married. Now, why is that? Well, it unfolds that they're in this situation where Longbourn, their, ha- their house, is going to be entailed to... The next male relative. So because Mr. and Mrs. Bennett didn't have any sons, it's going to skip over the girls. It's going to go to, as it turns out, Mr. Collins, who's this um, this kind of cousin of Mr. Bennett. So it, it basically means that when Mr. Bennett dies, uh, Mrs. Bennett and the girls stand to be thrown out of the house as the rightful heir will um, take over it. Um, and obviously Mrs. Bennett doesn't want to be homeless she's concerned for her daughters uh, and she is you know quite rightly concerned about what will happen to them so getting the girls married off um, not only secures their futures but also Mrs Bennett's because um, as the widow um, she could presumably go and live with one of her married daughters um, if they were well settled um, whereas you know otherwise she would have to be supporting them which is which is not possible so that's why Mrs Bennett is so obsessed with it um, but let's think a little bit more now about the situation of some young unmarried women in the novel so we've got um, well nearly all the Bennett girls um, we've got a li- particularly Jane Elizabeth as the eldest um, and then we've got Charlotte Lucas you know why was there so much pressure or social expectation on them to marry well one of the reasons was that because women have very limited education and very limited opportunities to earn money marriage was really the only honorable provision for them there wasn't you know there was no career pathway um, if you're a woman in, in this day and age, um, that, that was that was your option. It was to get married or perhaps become a governess and nobody wanted to be a governess um, if they could possibly help it. So for Jane and Elizabeth uh, and Charlotte Lucas too, they're keenly aware of this social pressure on them to marry. Um, and indeed, there was also this expectation that it, 
it very much showed your value as a woman. Lydia Bennett sort of carelessly remarks later in the novel that she would be ashamed if she wasn't married by the, the age of 23 um, because of the social stigma on that. And Charlotte, as a woman of 27, is already being seen by others as an old maid, which is really funny for us today because obviously lots of women are not married by the age of 27. Um, but this is where we have to get back into the time when this was written. Um, and, you know, when girls are uh, really entering society for the first time from about the age of 16, you know, like Lydia, they're starting to go to balls, they're starting to be introduced. From that time onwards, they're seen as being on the marriage market they are available to marry people um and so really girls are being driven towards this as the kind of outcome of their reason for existence um and i, I do find it funny when jane later on gets engaged to bingley um i think mrs bennett comments you know i knew you could not be so good looking for nothing um, you know as in your pretty face has has, has won us this good financial match um, and obviously this is the the focus for young girls is that really, unless they get married, there isn't um, anywhere else for them to go. Um, and apart from being a burden on their family, which explains why Charlotte marries Mr. Collins, even though Austin makes it really clear, Mr. Collins is a ridiculous man. He's got no sense. He's, he's a, an idiot. He keeps going on about Lady Catherine every five seconds. Um, but for Charlotte, she goes into that situation completely with her eyes open um, with the sole and disinterested desire of an establishment. Um, in other words, she wants to be settled with her own home and she knows that, okay, I've got to marry Collins to do that, but that's what that's the choice that she makes. Now, when it comes to Collins, why does Collins feel that he should get married? Because it's not just the girls that feel this um, pressure. And in fact, as Collins memorably says in his proposal to Elizabeth, um, Lady Catherine has instructed him to, to marry. Mr. Collins, you must marry. Um, wh why does he feel this pressure? Well, a lot of it is that now Mr. Collins has this living, this um, job as Lady, Lady Catherine's um, rector in the parish, Basically, he feels like it's the social acceptable thing to do now is to settle down. And a key way of showing people that you've settled down is that you've got a wife um, and you have children. Um, and so for Mr. Collins, accepting this job from Lady Catherine, in a sense, getting married is a way of proving to Lady Catherine that he's in this job for the long term. Obviously, if you were a young single man, there was always going to be the danger to your employer, in this case, Lady Catherine. You might you might meet someone, you might run off to the other side of the country and marry them. So for Collins to um, marry Charlotte and settle, he's showing Lady Catherine that he's not going anywhere. He's very happy with the job that she's given him, which is one of the reasons why she's expressly asked him to do so. So even Collins has got that kind of social pressure there. Um, he, he clearly is happy about it as well because he does say it's for his own happiness. Um, but it's interesting that, that he is coming under that social pressure too. Now, similarly with Bingley, Bingley's not under so much pressure to get married per se, but he is under pressure to buy an estate rather than just let Never Neverfield, which is to rent it um, by his sisters. And incidentally, his sisters are also pushing him towards Georgiana Darcy as a prospective partner. And obviously Caroline writes to Jane and intimates in her letter that um, a desirable event will soon take place, referring to Georgiana and her brother. Now, Elizabeth discovers when she actually meets 
Georgiana and she observes Bingley with Georgiana, they, they're not interested in each other at all. Um, and in fact, Georgiana is significantly younger than Bingley. Um, but that is the real pressure of Bingley's sisters on him to, again, get himself established. Now, Bingley's money was earned through trade. It's new money from his previous generation, presumably from his father or his grandfather. And so Bingley's in the situation where he has an upper class income, but he does not have the sort of criteria for being part of the landed gentry. He doesn't have an estate or land to call his own. So his sisters are pushing him towards marrying Georgiana and buying an estate because then he will become a, a sealed member of the landed gentry in the upper class. Um, and in a sense, he's going to be on a par with Darcy then because he'll have got the fortune of Georgiana. He'll have the alliance with the Darcy family and he'll have, um, you know, if he buys an estate, then he'll have everything which ticks the boxes. And again, so for Bingley's sisters, that is something that they are very aware of and they're sort of pressuring Bingley. And that's why they're so horrified when they think that Bingley's going to propose to Jane back at the Netherfield Ball in chapter 18 and they end up sort of um, working with Darcy to kind of keep him in London away from Jane. One of the great triumphs of the novel is that Bingley overcomes all that opposition and when Darcy finally admits that he concealed that Jane came to London, um, Bingley then realises what he really wants and he does pursue that, which I think Austen shows is a good thing. Um, I think in all of this, Austin wants us to feel that these social pressures are very damaging because they they push people into marriage relationships, which are you know which are permanent. You know, as long as you both shall live, um, it's very rare in Austin's day that couples separate. Um, even rarer that they would divorce. So you know, you're going into marriage, you're going in it for the rest of your life. And I think Austin's making this this comment that this social pressure results in a lot of unhappy marriages. Now, aside from Bingley, let's think a little bit about Darcy, because Darcy too is under pressure to marry, particularly to Anne de Berg, his cousin. Now, you might think that's a little bit strange nowadays. Is it even legal to marry a cousin nowadays? Um, but the point is, back then, um, these kind of family alliances were seen as really important. Um, and Lady Catherine de Berg, it is her darling wish, and apparently it was the wish of Darcy's mother, although we never hear that from Darcy's mother herself. We only hear that through Lady Catherine, so take it with a pinch of salt. Um, but Lady Catherine says, you know, they've intended for Darcy and Anne to marry, and then obviously the connection between the families will be cemented forever. Now, it's interesting that Darcy seems to really pay no attention to this whatsoever. Um, and it's interesting when he... Um, later in the novel Lady Catherine confronts Elizabeth because she's heard a rumour that she might be engaged to Darcy. Um, Elizabeth is affronted that Lady Catherine would have the um, cheek if you like to question the legitimacy of their union um, because in her mind he is a gentleman, I am a gentleman's daughter, so far we are equal. 
that's what Elizabeth says to Lady Catherine. Um, and Lady Catherine's response is, well, who's your mother? <laughs> In other words, who is your family? Um, and she refers to Lydia and, and Wickham's patched up marriage and says, are the shades of Pemberley to be thus polluted? Um, in other words, our wonderful estate of Pemberley is going to be polluted by these lower class citizens who are going to um, who are going to enter it. Um, we laugh about that in the novel. It's clearly a, sati- a satirical um, moment. However, Darcy does hold back from initially proposing to Elizabeth. And we see this in Darcy's proposal scene in chapter 34. We see his very real struggle with this idea of connection. Um, and even though he is by this point um, ardently in, in love with her, um, he does hold back because of her connections, her family position, and as he later reveals in the letter, what he sees to be the impropriety of the conduct of her family. Um, And so, you know, Darcy doesn't um, come across very well in that first proposal scene, because as much as he is making Elizabeth an offer of marriage, he's also deeply insulting her. Um, And especially after she's rejected him, his question, could you expect me to rejoice in the inferiority of your connections um, is obviously a, a stinging remark for Elizabeth um, and shows Darcy's preoccupation with his social status and the connections that marriage brings as being so significant. So clearly his family's expectations do initially hold him back but the great again a triumph of the novel is that Darcy overcomes those um, in order to ally himself with Elizabeth in the end of the novel. Now one character I do finally want to talk about is Wickham because again we hear in the novel um, after Wickham's character has been exposed to Elizabeth through Darcy's letter we find out that Wickham was trying to elope with Georgiana Darcy um, and Darcy explains that undoubtedly this was because of her fortune Um, and you know we might ask the question why does Wickham need to marry a woman of fortune? Well for men like Wickham who are you know working men you know he's he's lower middle class if that he's had an education because of the um patronage of the elder Mr Darcy Mr Darcy's father so in a sense he's had a middle class education um but his parents were working class um his father was Mr Darcy's steward um so that's essentially a a servant in the house it's a high-ranking servant but a servant nonetheless so for Wickham he's in the position where he's needing to earn his own income so initially Wickham was offered the living as the rector in the parish um, in the estate of Pembley a little bit like Mr Collins is in Lady Catherine de Bourgh's um, parish and her area Wickham himself actually turned that down. Um, He took a payoff from Darcy instead um, and he said he was going to study law. Um, Law was another way that men could earn a living um, and they would obviously have to study like a degree um, and and get qualified in that. And obviously Wickham takes this uh, check for £3,000 and fritters it away in gambling and drinking and all this kind of party lifestyle. Um, So basically... Wickham gets into a lot of debt 
And so his solution for that is to marry a woman with fortune. And because Darcy then later refuses to give him the living when it becomes available, um, on good grounds, because obviously Wickham had refused it himself before, Wickham seeks revenge on Darcy by trying to elope with Georgiana um, and marry her when she's only 15 years old in the hope of claiming her fortune. Um, Obviously, financially, um, women didn't own money once they were married it transferred to their husband so if George Wickham had managed to marry Georgiana Darcy um, her fortune would have belonged to him now thankfully Darcy was able to intervene and actually just after um, Elizabeth gets back from Hunsford after she's just read Darcy's letter about Wickham she then discovers that he's um, been trying to marry um, a young lady called Mary King who has a fortune as well um, and, and Elizabeth realises how mercenary Wickham is. He's, he's around there looking for a woman with a fortune that he can marry. Um, so there's pressure on both male and female characters to marry. Um, in a sense, everybody in the novel is obsessed with marriage in some way. Um, and really, this helps us to understand why things are so important. Um, marriage is the only honourable provision for young women. Um, and in some in some cases, the only honourable provision for men too, um, unless they have the opportunity to be educated and to work um, in a good job. Um, so these kind of matters are concerns for all of the characters and really drive the plot of Pride and Prejudice forward. If you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful, please hit subscribe and share it with a friend. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter. Just search for Teach Me Lit. I'm always open to requests. So if you want me to talk about a text you're studying, get in touch. Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.